James Kennedy Ministries presents Truths That Transform. We hope you're enjoying your Christmas holiday, but why does Jesus alone among religious figures get all of this fuss? As an atheist, I had this certainty, and there's an arrogance in that. that I understand everything, I know exactly what it's all about, but that's where I came from when the Lord started working in my life. See how Jesus is the Savior that God had promised from the very beginning. And meet an atheist whose life was changed by discovering the Jewish Messiah on today's Truths That Transform. Welcome to Truths That Transform, a production of D. James Kennedy Ministries where we are standing for truth and defending your freedom. As we enjoy this holiday weekend, we hope you had a very Merry Christmas. How amazing is it that the world virtually comes to a standstill as we gather together to pay honor to the humble carpenter from Nazareth, who is also the divine Savior of the world. We live on this side of Christmas where we look back at the arrival of Jesus. But for thousands of years before he came, God had promised to send a Messiah and his people anxiously anticipated that day. On today's program, you will discover how the life and ministry of Christ was predicted with uncanny precision in the Bible's Old Testament. And we begin by introducing you to a Jewish atheist who came to embrace Jesus Christ as that long-promised Messiah described throughout the Hebrew Bible. Christmas in my house is really unusual and unique. We would have a big Christmas tree, and we light the menorah, and we say the prayers. Mark Meckler, president of Citizens for Self-Governance, was born and raised in Southern California. I grew up in a secular Jewish family. I never went to temple except for maybe socially with friends occasionally on a Friday night. I was brought up within a family with a very strong moral sense and I, I now understand in hindsight these were Judeo-Christian values. So my parents taught me biblical values without even knowing they were teaching me biblical values. But there was no faith taught in my family life. Mark spent time studying different world religions such as Jainism, Hinduism and Buddhism but never made any real connections to these faiths. So as I was growing up, I, you know, I came out of college, I was a certain atheist. I, I knew how the world worked, at least I thought I did. And when I look in hindsight, I, I'm Paul. I, I would call myself a persecutor of Christians. I, I despised Christians. I thought Christians were hypocrites and evil and bad. And that's embarrassing in hindsight. I didn't know. I, I was uneducated, to be honest with you, and I'd never been given a fair view but that's where I came from when the Lord started working in my life. I met my beautiful wife and she's always been a believer. Lord knows why she married me. I think a special place in heaven for people like her. She had a lot of patience with me and she never tried to make me anything I wasn't. In hindsight, what she would tell you is that she always saw God working in me, even when I didn't. While Mark may not have known it at the time, God was working in his life, setting him on a journey to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Along my journey to faith, uh, probably a, a pivotal moment 
was the first time I prayed. And I didn't mean to pray. I'd been called to speak at a speaking engagement, which is always a great honor. And I was angry about it, actually. So I was in a place where I shouldn't have been. I resented it. I'd been very busy. I'd been traveling. And when I got home, I realized I had a speaking engagement. And so I got in my truck to drive to the speaking engagement, very frustrated, driving down the hill from where I lived up in the mountains, you know, just cursing my good fortune, actually. <laughs> I mistakenly put gas in a diesel engine and killed the engine of my truck on the way to the speaking engagement. Uh, so at the time I was engaged in politics, I wasn't making any money, we were broke, and I had essentially destroyed the truck. I remember sitting on the side of the road in the dark outside of Sacramento, California, and thinking, I have no idea what I'm going to do. I don't have the money to repair the truck. And uh, I remember praying and just saying, Lord, I, I don't even deserve that you would answer me because I don't even know if I believe in you. You know, I've never prayed before. I don't know how to pray. But if you can help. So um, so my wife came down and rescued me, as wives do, and I was inconsolable and had to be towed to a mechanic. And the mechanic called me and said, you know, you've, you've definitely blown up the engine because that's what happens when you do this, and we'll call you tomorrow after we get a chance to look at it. Over the period of that afternoon and that evening and the next day, people found out what had happened to me, and because I was somewhat of a public figure at that point were calling me and emailing me and telling me they were praying for me. I don't even know how many, hundreds, thousands. And for, for me at that time, prayer didn't really mean anything. I, it was nice. I appreciate it. It was a nice gesture, but it had no actual meaning. At the end of the day, the mechanic called me up and he said, I have no explanation for what I'm about to tell you. I've worked on these trucks for 25 years. Your engine should be blown up. At least your fuel injector should be blown out. It should be thousands of dollars. But your truck is perfect. There's nothing wrong with it. And in that moment, I remember just this feeling. It's, it's almost indescribable warmth. Like, I, I knew that's a miracle. It sounds funny, the miracle of the truck. <laughs> in hindsight, it's, it's kind of a funny thing, story to tell. But it was true. And, and so I, God had reached into my life and said, I'm going to show you something. Right? I'm going to demonstrate something to you. And that really made me seek more strenuously. Over time, as Mark was traveling the country, engaged in politics, he formed many friendships that would prove to be consequential in his journey towards faith. And along the way, I met a guy who's become a very close friend and mentor of mine by the name of Tim Dunn, a West Texas oral guy, person of faith. And we just started having conversations, and he started asking me to read scripture. I started reading scripture. He asked me what I knew about my own heritage, had me read Hebrews, had me study Paul. And I started to realize that this was not at all inconsistent with my worldview. It actually was my worldview. And the piece that was missing was the most important piece, which was God himself. And so along the way, I started reading the Bible. I started reading apologetics, uh, Lee Strobel, Case for Christ, Letters from a Skeptic. C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity. I just started consuming books, and I don't know exactly when I became a Christian. It's kind of a funny thing. I just remember one day thinking, it doesn't make sense not to believe anymore. My, my worldview had just shifted a frame, and the idea that you wouldn't believe, that just didn't make sense anymore. Uh, one day I had an opportunity to sit down with Marvin Olasky from World Magazine, 
It was the first time I gave my testimony publicly. It was at Patrick Henry College, and I was telling him this story, and I said, it's a little embarrassing. The clouds didn't open. I didn't hear God speaking to me. Uh, I just made a decision, and he said, well, that's because you're Jewish. And I said, what do you mean by that? He said, well, our culture is very logical, analytical, study-oriented, and he is also a Jewish Christian, and he said, that's the same way I came to the Lord. And so I gave my heart to the Lord, and I am a fanatical lover of Jesus Christ ever since. Dr. D. James Kennedy, the founder of this ministry, always particularly loved to hear the stories of Jewish people returning to their Messiah. Because the Hebrew Bible, which Christians know as the Old Testament, is filled with specific detailed prophecies foretelling the coming of Jesus Christ, these scriptures could only be the product of divine revelation. Dr. Kennedy has more in this portion of his fascinating message, Prophecies Concerning the Messiah. One of the most remarkable things in all of the world is the huge number of prophecies that exist in the Old Testament describing a person who is to come sometime in the future, who is to be the Messiah, the Messiah of the Jews and of the whole world. The Bible, the Old Testament, contains 333 prophecies concerning the coming of Christ which include 456 specific facts or details concerning the Messiah that is to come. And all of these were written between 400 B.C. and 1400 B.C. You can see the incredible difficulty that would exist in a book, The Case for Jesus the Messiah, by Ankerberg, Weldon, and Kaiser. We're told that uh, Professor Peter Stoner, Professor Emeritus of Science at Westmont College, examined the probabilities of just eight of these prophecies coming to pass. And he said that it would be, the probability would be one in 10 to the 17th power. Now, what does that mean? We're not used to dealing with figures like that, and so he tried to make it simple for us by uh, saying that if you were to mark a silver dollar and then put it in with a large number of other silver dollars and cover the entire state of Texas with silver dollars two feet thick, and in there somewhere is the one that has been specially marked. And then you were to take a blind man and you were to let him walk around the state of Texas, back and forth, up and down, every which way, thousands of miles he could spend walking, till finally he decides to stop somewhere at his choice. And then he's to reach down, dig around in the silver dollars, and pull out one of them. The chances of his finding that silver dollar that you marked in that way is equal to the chance of only eight of those prophecies coming to pass. But there are 456 specific details that are mentioned. My friends, the chances are beyond my ability to even tell you. And of course, Nobel winning, Nobel Prize winning scientists have pointed out out that anything, if anything, has a chance less than 10 to the 50th power, it will never happen even cosmically 
never take place. So you can see the chances of this happening are infinitely far beyond the possibility that it was simply an accidental occurrence. So we see that what we have here are some astonishing prophecies. And they are not vague. They are very specific. <clears throat> to give you an example of one of them, we are told exactly when the Messiah would come. Over 500 years before Christ was born, the prophet Daniel told exactly when the Messiah would be anointed, when he would come, to the very year. It's the famous prophecy of the 70 weeks, the 70 weeks of years. And we're told that after 69 of those weeks, that will bring us to the anointing of the Messiah. Now, we know when the Messiah was anointed. They made a mistake when they adjusted the calendar centuries ago, and so instead of changing everything, they changed the birthday of Jesus to 4 BC. He lived uh, about 33 and a half years, and he died in, thir in 30 AD. His ministry was three and a half years long, we know that. And therefore, we know that in the middle of the year 26 AD, Jesus was baptized by John and anointed by the Holy Spirit who descended from heaven upon him, 26 AD. Now, the prophet Daniel tells us that in 69 weeks of years, which is 483 years, that this would take place. Now, this starts, we're told, the uh, beginning point, the terminus a quo from which you begin, was the seventh year of the reign of Artaxerxes. That is clearly stated for us in, in the prophecy. And uh, I looked in the Encyclopedia Britannica to be sure I wasn't getting some uh, mere Christian distortion or bias on the matter. And uh, in, the, in the Bible, in the book of Daniel, it says in there that and there went up some of the children of Israel to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king. They were going up to rebuild Jerusalem. Now the Encyclopedia Britannica tells us this, quote, Artaxerxes I was a younger son of Xerxes and was raised to the throne in 465 B.C. by the vizier Artabanus. So he came to the throne in 465. Seven years later, in the seventh year, then this took place. If you subtract seven from this, you get 458. Now, if you subtract from that point the 483 years of Daniel's prophecy, it brings you to the year 25. Now, surely that ought to be close enough to satisfy you. We were trying to hit 26. Well, close is only good in in horseshoes and hand grenades. The Bible can do better than that. We made a mistake. We forgot that, unlike mathematics, there is no zero in the calendar. Between 1 BC and 1 AD, there are not 24 months, but only 12. So you pick up another year, which brings us smack dab into the middle of 26 AD. Again, over 500 years before Christ was born, it was prophesied exactly the year in which he would be 
baptized. And uh, there is no question of when that took place in the Bible. And so we here have this astonishing prediction that the Messiah would be anointed in the year of 26 AD. And where was this going to happen? Well, we read today from Micah the prophet, 700 years before Christ was born. He said, but thou Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, who is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Now here he says that Bethlehem Ephratah. Now you see there were two Bethlehems in Israel. There was Bethlehem in Judah, the tribe of Judah, and there was Bethlehem way up on the north coast of Israel, Bethlehem in Zebulun. So in order to specify which one, it was Bethlehem Ephrata, which might be likened to say to someone coming to this country, I will meet you at the post office in Hollywood, oh, in Broward County, not the one out in California. So even the county is named Ephrata, which means fruitful, was the area around that Bethlehem was a city in. And so the county and the city, and Bethlehem was such a small town. We sing even today, O little town of Bethlehem. It's still a small town. It was smaller than that then. In the list of catalog of cities that are given to us by Joshua and then by Nehemiah, in neither one of these is Bethlehem even included. You couldn't even find it on a road map. And yet 700 years before Christ was born, we're told exactly which town it would be. And this is not just an ordinary birth. We can talk about the beginning, the origin of Caesar or Alexander the Great or Napoleon, but Jesus had no beginning. He shall come forth unto me whose goings forth have been from old, even from everlasting. Out of the little town of Bethlehem, there was to come forth one who has lived everlastingly. Jesus, the Son of God, the eternal second person of the Trinity, was to come forth out of this little town. My friends, that, that prophecy in itself is enough to prove the divine authority of the Scripture. But again, it is but one of 456. Why did he come? Well, we read today in the 53rd of Isaiah why he came. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He came to offer a sacrifice. It is a picture of a suffering Messiah that was to come to die for us. My friends, I have just mentioned but very, very few, a handful of some of these astonishing prophecies. There is nothing like this in any other religious book in the world the so-called 26 other scriptures held by religions in this world have not one single 
specific predicted prophecy. Nowhere does such a thing exist. It proves beyond any possibility of accident or chance that it is talking about the Redeemer, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. The clear predictive prophecies about Jesus Christ, written many centuries before he was born, are one of the divine characteristics of the Bible. In the Bible, God reveals himself to us, telling us what pleases him, what displeases him, the reasons you and I are here, and how we can be saved from the wrath of God against sin. But we live in a culture that has turned its back on God and his truth. Jesus himself told us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The rejection of God is why our nation seems to be falling apart at the seams. That's why I've written a brand new book I would love to share with you. It's called The Fight of Our Lives, First Principles in the Battle for Truth. And I would like to send it to you as our thanks for your generous year-end gift to this ministry. In this series of concise and easy-to-read essays, I take a look from a biblical perspective at how we can engage in the battle, trusting God for the challenges you and I face in a culture that has turned its back on God. This book is a critically important commentary and guide for the tumultuous times in which we live. Simply write to us at D. James Kennedy Ministries, Box 11154, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33339. Or call toll-free, 877-962-7677. Or go online to djkm.org. If you are able to give a donation of $100 or more, I'll send you not only my new book, but also the classic devotional from Dr. D. James Kennedy, Beside Still Waters, co-written with Dr. Jerry Newcomb. As we begin a new year in a few days, there is no better way to get the daily biblical nourishment you need. These rich readings distilled from Dr. Kennedy's decades of study will fill your heart and mind with the strength, wisdom, and courage you need for the days ahead. This is our final program of 2021, and we need your help to begin the new year ahead, which will be a pivotal election year on a strong financial footing. We have ambitious plans for 2022, continuing to serve you by standing for truth in a culture that's lost its way. Among those plans are a series of new, high-quality, culture-impacting documentaries, including who is this Jesus, Darwin's deadly legacy, and a critically important documentary on election integrity. But we can only do it with your much needed help right now. I'm asking many of you who understand this vision and the power of media to engage a culture to help us by coming a charter member of our Producers Guild by giving a donation of $1,000 or more. You will receive both books, The Fight of Our Lives, plus Dr. Kennedy's Beside Still Waters, and your name as a Producers Guild member will be included in the credits 
of these groundbreaking documentary specials. And thanks to a matching challenge established by generous friends of this ministry, your gift given before midnight on December 31st will be matched dollar for dollar up to $500,000, effectively doubling your impact. So please stand with us before this deadline expires in just days. Help us enter 2022 carrying the life-giving truth of God to a lost and dying culture. Simply write to us at D. James Kennedy Ministries, Box 11154, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33339. Or call toll-free, 877-962-7677. Or go online to djkm.org. At Christmas time, it's common to hear the refrain, peace on earth, goodwill to men. These words, of course, come from the nativity narrative in Luke chapter 2. The angel of the Lord appears to the shepherds in the field to announce the arrival of Jesus Christ, the long-awaited Messiah and Son of the living God. And the angel says, as the venerable King James Version renders it, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. What the angel is really proclaiming here is not the goodwill of some human beings toward one another. He's proclaiming God's goodwill, his favor, his peace extended to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And when someone truly comes to know Jesus Christ, a profound transformation indeed takes place and reveals itself through expressions of kindness and love toward others. So profound and powerful is this transformation that it changed the Apostle Paul from a persecutor of Christ's church to its greatest evangelist. It turned John Newton from a foul-mouthed slave trader into the author of Amazing Grace. And it changed Chuck Colson from being President Nixon's so-called master of dirty tricks into an evangelist and advocate for prison reform. Jesus changes hearts. Has he changed yours? Do you need transformation and reconciliation in your life? The amazing good news of Christmas is that you can have it as a free gift from God through Jesus Christ. Simply put your trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins and the promise of eternal life with God. You can even pray with me right now. Heavenly Father, I am lost and I need your salvation. I need your transformation and I need your forgiveness, which you offer me in your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, who died for me. I accept this gift right now, Lord, and I want to live for you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, we have a vital resource we would like to send you at no cost or obligation to you. It's called Beginning Again, Dr. Kennedy's book for new believers to guide you in your relationship with Christ. Contact us to receive a copy today. And may God bless you as you do. D. James Kennedy Ministries is standing for truth and defending your freedom. 
I'm Frank Wright. Thanks for being with us. Here's a look at the next truths that transform. We are going to boldly declare the truth of the Word of God for generations to come, and we're excited to see what God's going to do in 2022. That's next week. This has been a production of D. James Kennedy Ministries.